Welcome to the Show Me Comic Cast. This is Tim. And before we get started with the show, I just wanted to give you a quick apology for the quality of the audio that you're about to hear. About 90 minutes before we were set to record this episode, the power actually went out in the area surrounding the studio. So all the recording equipment absolutely kaput, lights out, heat out. Normally, we probably would have just rescheduled the show for another time, but we already had a guest who was on his way in. So we decided to make do with the best with what we had. So to give you a mental image, normally the podcasting table where Sam Jordan and myself sit has all the microphones, the headphones, all of our nifty gadgets. So when you're listening to this episode, picture that table completely bare. The only light in the entire room, in the entire house even, is a single candle right in the middle of the table and the glow of an iPad that we recorded on using just the internal mic, which actually lended a nice bit of atmosphere to the recording itself. At least I think so. Maybe we should do more uh, more shows by candlelight. So with that said, again, I apologize for the quality of the audio, but the content on this episode is very good. At least I think so. And we definitely had an enjoyable time doing this one despite all the technical snafus. So hopefully you enjoy this episode as well as Sam, Jordan, myself, and our special guest, Max Zimmerman, discuss Art Spiegelman's Mouse. Season 5, Episode It's the hero's journey of comics. Is this the adventure you've planned for me? Braving the winding road of geekdom. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Sharing our advice. He believed that his example could inspire. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And exposing our mistakes. This is all going to end badly. Everybody has an agenda. Welcome to the Show Me Comicast. You're listening to the Show Me Comicast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer for Show Me Comics. And I'm Jordan Taylor. I am the writer for Show Me Comics. And I have never endured anything as depressing as what you're about to hear. But for something less depressing, you can visit showmecomics.com and check out my blog and also comic book scripts. And I'm Sam Richardson, artist, illustrator, graphic designer, penciler, inker, and I'm afraid of the dark. And he knows nothing! (laughs) So you probably won't hear much from him. However, in his place, we do have an artist joining us, a very special guest. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, because you know yourself better than I do. (laughs) Well, my name is Max Zimmerman, and I'm a fellow artist and comic book writer, and a Jew. So (laughs) So an expert. (laughs) Yeah, so an expert on the following topic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we invited Max out here because actually it was his idea for this episode, which is in our Analyzing a Great Work series. He kind of reached out to me and said... uh, you know, a topic that I think you guys should talk about is the graphic novel as an actual form of literature. You know, uh, some of the ones we've reviewed so far have been like Marvels and uh, The Dark Knight Returns, which not taking anything away from them, but showing that graphic novels are more than just dudes in capes and underwear. Exactly, yeah. I, I kind of view graphic novels and most sequential art as the culmination of literature and art. And there's a lot of room for, I guess, genre bending. And that's what we're going to look at, right, with the uh, work that we're about to analyze. But before I announce the title, uh, something about 
or let's give some cred to Max. Max, as an artist, you've been uh, published in an anthology at least, right? Correct. I have been published in the C4 anthology um, titled Run, and I will also be in the next one titled Space. And you also have a webcomic coming out soon, right? I do. The webcomic is called Max's Childhood Nightmares, and it'll be on my website within the week. And can you tell them what that website is? Yes, the website is MaximusPoetryArt.Weebly.com And here's the part that I like best about Max is he's a double threat guy. Uh, he actually, uh, you know, is going to be a little bit bashful and not tell you about his degree that he holds in English, right? Correct. I have a degree in secondary English education, so... By day, I <laughs> teach kids how to write and read and do all that, and uh, by night, I work on comics. So that's what I meant by a double threat guy. He draws, but he also has a very good, you know, as a college has certified, understanding of storytelling and the written word. Yes. Uh, so with that, let's get in to our Analyzing Your Great Work. What we decided to pick for something that highlighted the power of what a graphic novel can do when it comes to literature and genre bending is a graphic novel called Mouse, M-A-U-S. Max or Tim, you guys want to kind of give the brief overview of what Mouse is, what it's about? I'll let Max do it. All right. Um, Mouse was a, um, I guess, a two-part graphic novel written by Art Spiegelman, and uh, it's actually two autobiographies in one. It's Art Spiegelman's own biography about his relationship with his father, Vladik, and he also talks about his father's experiences during the Holocaust. Um, the significant thing about Mouse is not only is it a historically accurate graphic novel, and it was actually found at the St. Louis County Library in the history section, um, Mouse is also uh, a cat and mouse story. Right, um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. We'll, we'll talk about the artwork shortly, but uh, instead of the people being drawn like people, they're drawn like animals, and different uh, ethnicities are drawn as different animals, which is pretty interesting. Yes. Um, uh, the Jews are mice, the Germans are cats, um, I think I recall the Americans are dogs. Yeah, the Americans are dogs. I didn't think it was in like a bad way of saying, the Americans are dogs! You know, it wasn't like an insult. But But a lot of people actually, like if you uh, went on Amazon and read reviews of it, there's a lot of people that gave uh, Mouse negative reviews because they thought he was being racist. But here's the thing about dogs. The Germans, the quote-unquote bad guys, right? (laughs) They're pretty damn bad. But I say, you know, quotes bad guys because, I mean, that spot in their history doesn't define them for their entire lineage on planet Earth. Right. But at the time, they're depicted as cats. Who beats up and chases cats? Dogs. Dogs. So why do you think he chose the Americans to be dogs? There's that. There's also the Polish being pigs. Yeah. And then the French being frogs. Uh, Oh, man, I wish you would save that. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Edit it out. Um, (laughs) The Poles being pigs is actually not random. Uh, The Nazis referred to Poles as pigs. Yeah, actually, I think nothing in that book is random, which we'll get to in just a second. But the last thing I want to say introducing this great work, Max gave that great introduction, but when we talk about graphic novels as being serious literature, what are the accolades that Mouse garnered when it was published? Do you guys have any idea? It was a Pulitzer Prize. A Pulitzer Prize. That's right. Now, you want to talk about, you know, 
people getting the Eisner, that's great. A, an award that was created for the comics medium right. that only comics can apply to. The Pulitzer can be applied to by tons of different, you know, works. But this one, the Pulitzer, that, that's pretty big time. It was also a New York Times bestseller. And so there you go. You know, it's just showing. And not only was it a New York Times bestseller, it was a New York Times bestseller 30 years ago. Yeah. So to, for this kind of a work and this kind of a medium to break out 30 years ago was pretty big news. I mean, people take for granted that comics are, you know, mainstream now, which I still don't think they really are. You know, I don't, I don't think most people that watch the movies read the comics. But uh, back in 82, 81, around some of the times that some of us were born, some of us old men, uh, not so much well-respected. They were still the funny books. Right. Would you agree with that, Sam? Historically? Oh, yeah, for sure. So what Art Spiegelman did was really a triumph. And Spiegelman actually alludes to it in the first book. He actually presents a comic within a comic. He uh, shows one of his earlier works in the comic book and talks about how um, when his father found it, he didn't take it seriously as oh, a piece of work. Absolutely. And that was one of the best parts in the book for me. Um but at the risk of completely spoiling everything before we even start, let's get started. <laughs> so let's get started taking a look at this from an artistic point of view. Um, how did you guys regard Mouse as far as the art? What, what can our audience learn from it? What can we learn from it? Well, here's the thing. This book actually it has got quite a bit of sentimental value to me. I don't talk too much about you know my past and whenever I was younger, but... Whenever I was a young girl growing up in Czechoslovakia, <laughs> uh, we didn't have a lot to do um, to pass time. We didn't have a lot of toys. We didn't have a lot of recreation. So um, I owned a copy of Mouse, and uh, I would trace a lot of the, the pictures on the inside. Is this an improv acting, and, or are you uh, <laughs> trying no, to cover book, up it a really, dirty it, secret? It meant a lot to me as a child. I would look inside, and I would look at the artwork to it. And what I really appreciated was the ability for the the creator, Art Spiegelman, to convey such emotion with such simple line work. And I really like it because, you know, if you look at it, it, it looks like they used those uh, ink and croquil pens that you grow up in high school learning how to ink your pictures with. But the line work that he uses really gets across the emotion very well. You don't look at it and think that it's crude or... Or it doesn't take away from the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, you could almost think that it's crude, but what I really liked about it is it was deceptively simple. Right, it was very simple. It got and, the point across. It didn't have to distract you with flashy costumes or crazy colors. It's black and white, and it's almost kind of cold in a way to take you to what the feeling of what these animals were going through at the time. Max? Which Oh, sorry. As, as, as I'm reading, and I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to jar you out of here for our guest. <laughs> I guess as I read it, I was wondering what the Jewish people were so mad about because all this stuff happened to mice <laughs> oh, or rats that were really good with money. And before you get too mad, think about it. To this day, because of this, the most famous cartoon character in the world is a mouse. Actually, it references that it in the book, that. and I think that was kind of one of the. Um, inspirations for them to be mice. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I could probably pull up that quote right now, Sam. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's pretty... at the beginning of book two. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. 
Alright, chapter 6, that's about it. Just edit this out, Tim. No no need to let anybody know about the power outage and that we're... Uh... Found the quote. Okay, go <laughs> ahead, Max. Mickey Mouse is the most miserable ideal ever revealed. Healthy emotions tell every independent young man and every honorable youth that the dirty and filth-covered vermin, the greatest bacteria carrier in the animal kingdom, cannot be the ideal type of animal. Away with the Jewish brutalization of the people. Down with Mickey Mouse. Wear the swastika cross. As said in a newspaper article in Pomerania, Germany, mid-1930s. So the Germans actually hated Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so. But so I am Mickey Mouse? You Wasn't Walt Disney a Nazi, though? I don't know. <laughs> he did have a mustache. <laughs> I mean, they pretty much gave Spiegelman his choice right there. Uh, so they're attacking Disney. Spiegelman is a cartoonist. He starts digging through history and sees the Germans weren't content to just kill people. They had to slander cartoon characters. I mean, that's that's total evil, far-reaching. You and know what I mean? the idea of a mouse and the name mouse comes from the German word Mauschein, which is actually a verb. It's a derogatory term uh, that translates into to talk like a Jew or to swindle like a Jew. I did not know that. Very and, nice. Uh, Jew, uh, Germans actually, in order to dehumanize Jews and to make it more, I guess, reasonable to blame Jews, had to dehumanize them in some way, so they called Jews vermin and pests and tried to refer to them as less than human. What I like about this, though, that I think our audience could learn is the fact that Spiegelman didn't arbitrarily choose the mouse as the animal to represent Jews. You know, there was meaning, deep meaning behind it. And you can tell by the inclusion of that quote and also uh, the notes that Max was able to dig up uh, that this was a very deeply thoughtful choice. Yep. Which I think that goes to highlight our point that graphic novels can be great literature. I mean, him selecting that, he could have just said, you know, I think uh, uh, eye-eyes are really cool, so Jews are going to be eye-eyyes. And it's like, dude, right. eye-eyes yeah, are freaky I'm, looking. <laughs> I never knew that's why they used a mice for it. I thought it was just because they were small, you know, feeble creatures that you'd feel sorry for to invoke sympathy. I didn't right. Nice to know that. Yeah, and um, Spiegelman also knew lots of languages like English, French, Polish, Yiddish, and German, so that gave him a one-up on the historical allusions that he makes within his work. Absolutely. I mean, and he talks about his, how his dad was very multilingual, and that actually saved him several times. But we want to keep this very art-focused okay. uh, in this first part. And what I wanted to say, when, when I read it, it's deceptively simple. And by that, what I mean is... Uh, even though the drawings themselves are simplistic, I feel like the layouts are not simplistic. Yes. Uh, Sam, if you flip through that, you might agree, but let's open up to page 14. Of the first one? Yeah, this is the very first note I took about art was on page 14 of the first one. And when it just came to storytelling... If you look, the guy, they're in the present, which was, you know, years ago now, but in the present, and he's riding an exercise bike, the Holocaust survivor victim, and in that elongated panel in the middle of page 14, you see that Spiegelman's face is framed by his dad's arms as he's reading the exer- or riding the exercise bike, but you also see the serial number Nazi tattoo on the arm. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. So even though the artwork is very simple, the framing right there 
and the layout, that whole, that panel right there tells a complete story and a very deep story, you know? I mean, you get out of it, you know, Spiegelman's longing to hear a story from his father. You get the father's current situation where he's an aging man that's concerned about his health. He's riding an exercise bike, but you also get that just by that simple little numbers on his forearm, all that past baggage. And your eye does go to that number. Yeah, it, it really does. He framed it beautifully. But I, I thought that even more than the number, how he set it, the son's face in between the arms of the exercise bike. Right. And when I saw that, I thought, that's a director of photography. You know what I mean? Because. Right. If you were filming that as a movie, some guy could be standing against the north wall and you just see a head-on shot of a guy on an exercise bike and a guy sitting on a couch. But a real artistic director of photography pivots around the room until he sees that. The forearms framing the sun. And and then you just know it's money. Right. You know what I mean? So right. Well, we talk so much about how our book, Hafu, is you know like more of a cinematic experience. But that's good cinematography right there. And we talk about the simplistic style of art, but that's one of the good things about having such an emotion, you know, story-driven comic book is that you don't want the art to be too complex because then it takes away from the story. You start to you start to get more into looking at the interesting pictures instead of flowing along with what the story is trying to tell you. Right, and and that's my way to highlight to how people could learn is like you could take that same panel and you could get a really detailed comic book artist to come in and do the same panel, the same story, and super detail it, but the layout stands strong. And Spiegelman even mentions in an interview that I watched with him that um, he tries to um, attack the comic book page by page, not panel by panel. The entire page for him is uh, a a composition in itself. And you can tell that when um, the flashbacks melt and kind of uh, bleed into the present. And that's actually a really good technique to use when you're when you're telling a story within the comic book and you're doing a flashback. Absolutely. And I, I just want to get across to our audience. If you're listening and you haven't read Mouse or you have read Mouse and you thought, well, this artwork seems very simple. It seems very family circus, you know, or Doonesbury or whatever. That it definitely looks more comic strip than you'd be used to yeah. as opposed to comic book. It is not it is high level art spiegelman did a freaking amazing job at the layouts here it is very high art you know if i can use that term in a way yeah in a way that you know does justice for a very simple term magic is in his little details that he has right um, including the number including just um in in one portion uh, later on in the story um they try to hide their Jewish ethnicity. And mm-hmm. in the book, they show it as them wearing pig masks. Yeah, it, it's amazing. It's like a little string that goes around the back of their head. But that that's huge symbolism right there. Because the same thing happens in the transition to book two. The very opening scene, it's a real man wearing a mouse mask. Right. And I thought that was so jarring. It's There's like, a lot of good symbolism just in the beginning of that alone. Yeah, and... I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned real people because throughout the comic book he does uh, present, especially in part two, pictures of the actual characters that he's talking about. Yeah, there's the two photos in the entire book. Yeah, and it and it kind of breaks it up, but it also um, he's basically not letting you suspend disbelief um, of the actual fact that like 
you know, these are real people. These are real stories. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, though. And I think another reason that his simplistic artwork and the choice of mice and the way he drew them was awesome is because, Sam, you can probably back me up on this. I read Scott uh, McCloud's Understanding Comics, right? And before I did that, I never really understood where I little kid stuff was more cartoony and lacked detail and things like that. And in Scott McCloud's book, he, he lets you know that, well, when, the more detail that you take away, the more a person's brain impresses themselves upon what they're looking at. So like a stick figure, no detail at all. So when you look at that, your mind just kind of says, okay, that could be me. Exactly. And they, you know, he explains it. Scott McCloud does an understanding comics way better than I could explain it. But when I looked at that, if I thought one story, if you really wanted somebody to sympathize with what was going on, it'd be the Holocaust. Yep. So the way Spiegelman draws it, very sparse detail, mice, that it's basically just a triangle head. Anybody that's reading that, a little kid could read that, an adult could read that. Uh, you know, an, an African American could read that. A freaking Brazilian could read that. A Jew could read that from Israel. You know, anybody could read this and kind of just impress themselves upon that mouse's face because it's so void of detail. Right. Did you that's, guys? That's feel the awesome that? thing about symbolism and uh, the fact that he draws this so simple and uses more, uh, you know, symbolic drawings of the mice. Is I mean, like you said, with the stick figure is. If you take something as simple as a circle with two dots and a smile on it, just about everybody will look at that and imagine themselves smiling. Even though yeah. it's not a detailed face, you have no idea that that's a human. It's a circle with two dots and a, and, a, and a curved line. But everybody looks at that and thinks of themselves smiling. Well, let's and like, take- I'm looking on page 19, and he's got you know these very simple mice. Their face are just you know two dots and then lines for eyebrows and within three panels i see anger confusion and then surprise all with just how we used curved lines for the eyebrows but because it's so simple and it's such a symbol anybody can look at that and think of themselves where the more detailed you get like if he drew this to look ultra realistic where they looked like completely anatomically correct mice you'd know you'd lose it you'd no longer see yourself you would actually just see mice going through here and it would lose the entire illusion i was going to mention the exact same thing if you guys look at page 28 so on page 28 we got a guy that's kind of like you know they're talking and he's dealing with the situation um but then all of a sudden the very last panel which that's good storytelling right there as an artist the last panel carries you over to the next page so that's something intense the last panel on page 28 suddenly one that's been in the middle ground of the panel the entire page, the character thrusts up into the foreground like bigger, larger than life. Not only that, a very simple, suddenly eyebrows appear. Before, he didn't even really have eyebrows. Now he has eyebrows, and they're in an angry expression. That struck me so much when I was reading the story that I wrote it down as a note. It's good storytelling right there, and with very simple line work. Right, with that, but just a change of two little details, two little lines, and then when you go to the next panel, it goes into almost kind of a, uh, a surprised look, 
Everything else is the exact same, but the eyebrows change, and it conveys a completely different emotion. And then, our yeah, our emotion change. So, Max, as our guest artist, we want to kind of transition out of the art segment now, but I want to give you the final thought. What can our audience learn from analyzing this as a great work? I mean, we could talk about this for 10 hours probably, but try to give them that best highlight view that you can give. Well, being a comic book artist myself, I think the hardest part about drawing... Uh, believable characters is conveying true emotion through the simplistic forms that you decide for your characters. And uh, Art Spiegelman does this very well with body language and with uh, the way he sets up his characters on the actual page. And the characters end up coming to life through their realistic dialogue but also just through the way they express themselves. Or the way in which Art Spiegelman expresses them through his drawings. Can you give us a good example of kind of like where he really nailed it? Um, Yes. He talks about um, his uh, crazy wife. who Mala? Yeah, the first one. Who had spent (laughs) some time in the sanatorium. I got to tell you, if I had read this when I was like 18, I would have totally identified with the Art Spiegelman character. (laughs) But reading it as I'm 30 and I have a wife and kids... I really empathize with Vladek, you know. Yes, and the way they just present his wife, there's a scene when he, uh, on page 31 of my copy, where um, he comes back from working uh, for the Nazis. They kind of send him home, and you see her saying, I don't care, I just don't want to live anymore. And her uh, desperation is presented through the simple lines and wrinkles on her face. Was that Anya? That's Anya. Yeah. Oh, okay, so that's Anya. Yeah, Yeah, just the... Because prior to that, she never had, like, bags under her eyes or anything like that, and then all of a sudden you see... The wear and tear, yeah, the toll just show that through. malnutrition and desperation takes on a person, and he really presented that really well. You know what that reminds me of is kind of like for a film reference was uh, oh crap, I'm gonna mess it up now. Uh, not Apocalypse Now. What's the other famous Vietnam movie? Platoon. No, Metal maybe jacket. it was a pop- Metal jacket. What's the one with freaking Marlon Brando when he's? I think that is a puck. Okay, so Apocalypse Now. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> there's no power. So in Apocalypse Now, when they think, hey, this guy that was a war fighter, you know, was, uh, you know, uh, this big bad guy up the Ni- up the uh, the river. I almost said Nile. <laughs> That's basically the same story. But anyway, so when they finally find him, he's just like a sack of sh- stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's just complete garbage but they play with like lights and shadows and then at certain times like the light exposes this guy's a lunatic you know yeah but they it's kind of hidden from viewing that and th- that was his way of doing it in a comic is like with the blank facial features you can impress upon whatever you want and then all of a sudden he changes it on you and it's like whoa suddenly they came into the light and it's way worse than I thought it was. Yeah, one one other scene in Mouse that presents that is when he visits his parents after a while and uh, notices his dad has stubble on his face and says, Dad, what happened to your beard? And his yeah. dad talks about how they made him shave his beard and they took his business and this look of contempt and this broken uh, father figure. I remember that, yeah. Um, that was Vladek's father. 
Let there be light, God said. <laughs> We're almost done with this episode, unfortunately. So let's go ahead and keep going. But yeah, the the, the fact that they can um, show an old, battered man and actually show his character, not just through his dialogue. I could actually hear his uh, contemptuous tone in my head while reading. Right, yeah. It was very powerful. <laughs> yes. All right, so we'll take a quick break for our sponsor, audibletrial.com slash showmecomics. If you enter this into your browser, you can pick up a free audiobook. And what we want to recommend this week, since we are talking about stories from the Holocaust, while Mouse is an epic piece of work, uh, what it is is it's secondhand because it is Art Spiegelman's father telling him the story of the Holocaust and then Art Spiegelman writing it down. There are few accounts of firsthand uh, Holocaust survivors or Holocaust victims. What we want to recommend to you is Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl. Now, a lot of people have heard of Anne Frank, but we talked about uh, the movie Superman the other day when people were you know, commenting on Superman, and it's like, Dude, you don't even read Superman. So you've probably heard of Van Frank, but when's the last time you actually heard or read the diary of Van Frank, the actual thing? You might have seen a movie. You might have seen a play. We're telling you for right now, you can get the original source material on audibletrial.com slash showmecomics for free and prepare to learn a lot about Anne Frank, to learn about a lot about yourself and a lot about just the human condition and how people can react under extreme circumstances can't recommend it enough and frank the diary of a young girl pick it up now so now let's transition to the story in general and it is a story so what i want to try to focus on is what we can learn as comic book authors and writers and artists who are telling a story from how this story is told but tim you've been kind of a silent partner so i want you to kick this off tell us about the storytelling uh, techniques of this book and what impressed upon you? The story itself was very personal. Obviously, it's an autobiography of Art himself, but also the personal story of his father and the Holocaust. Basically, the most important thing about the story is that it is real. Not only is it factually something that happened, but it's real emotion. <clears throat> it's a brutally honest look inside Art himself dealing with the suicide of his mother, uh, his somewhat estrangement with his father. So I think one of the most important things is if you're going to tell a story, have an element of realism and an element of yourself in it and just pour the essence of yourself into it. I'm and glad you said Make something extremely powerful. I'm glad you said that. And when he talks about putting the ele- essence of himself in it, you can do that with fiction. Now, this is nonfiction, but you can do that with fiction, and you should do that with fiction. And you, as a comic book author, that's the biggest thing you can learn. Is like, you know, you think about how Spiegelman threw mice and pigs and frogs and stuff into this. He made it a little unreal. So do that a couple more times with a few different elements of the story, and suddenly you have fiction. But the heart and soul is still beaten as a... Uh, was it Huey Lewis? Huey Lewis. And the, Huey Lewis would say, "The heart and soul is still beating." So, uh, on that note, if you look at page one seventy six, at the very bottom left panel, 
I think this is the heart and soul of the entire story. And I, I just took a note when I looked at it. That bottom left-hand panel is Spiegelman and his girlfriend in a car. And Spiegelman says, There's so much I'll never be able to understand or visualize. I mean, reality is too complex for comics. So much has to be left out or distorted. That right there talks about what he did with the book. He distorted yeah. some things, you know. I'm sure he left some things out. But then what his girlfriend says in that panel is just classic. She says, just keep it honest, honey. Exactly. And it's so honest yeah. that it's actually a self-conscious book. He talks about creating the comic book in the comic book itself. <laughs> yeah. it, it, which- and what probably won the Pulitzer Prize, you know? I'd like to mention the elephant in the room when talking about Mouse, and that's the fact that everything that comes out of Vladik's mouth, that's Art Spiegelman's father, is in an accent. The whole book is written in a Polish accent. I actually thought what was so great about that, though, is so people, writers, do dialect so terribly a lot of times. Yes. But you could tell, you know, Art Spiegelman has spent so much time with his father, he could do it in his sleep. That's a real know? accent. <laughs> yeah. And the only other author that I think successfully pulled it off was uh, Joseph Saffron Foyer, I think his name was. Okay. Uh, he wrote the book Everything is Illuminated. And that entire book is written in a uh, Ukrainian-slash-Russian accent. And it's broken English the entire way through. And if And if... Honestly, if you yourself don't come from those roots, I actually happen to. Yeah. And I have the patience for a Russian accent because all my family members have one. Um, but uh, after reading it, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to get used to it. But once you do, yeah. you can't imagine the book narrated in any other way. And the same thing with Mouse. And what I noticed was big time consistency. You know, and because it was so real. You didn't have to worry about consistency, but let's say you were trying to do it and it wasn't real. You were just trying to fake it, you know, until you make it kind of thing. Consistency is the key, you know. Yep. If somebody says, y'all, you know, for dialect, they better say y'all every time and they better not say you guys ever. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'll real quick, you know, we're trying to wrap this up, but uh, the storyline for me, what it came down to was what I thought... And there are so many great things he did. Like I said, we could have a 10-hour podcast. But what I want to highlight that he did and that you could learn as a storyteller is his digression. So I noticed what really captured me and that you could learn was from Spiegelman's digressions. And these were actually Vladek's digressions, but Spiegelman, uh, as an art, kept them in the book. And there was a couple that I noticed. One of them was when people are dying, all right? People are dying everywhere. If you have a book that's just people dying all the time, it might be true, but it might not be good storytelling. So we have, like, people dying, people dying, and then all of a sudden, one time they talked about how uh, this person came and said, Hey, I snu- or I got cake into the ghetto. And everybody was like, Cake? How did you do that? And they're like, Oh, well, I just saved up and smuggled some sugar and some flour. And, and then it says later, after they ate the cake, they found out, Well, he'd substituted half flour and half laundry detergent. <laughs> You guys remember that? Yeah, that and part. Everybody was yeah. sick, and everybody was sick. But guess what? Vladek remembered that digression from the main storyline, which was constant death and brutalization under the Nazi regime. But that humanized it, you know, because of the looks on their face when they got the cake, and then the pain in their stomach after they ate soap. That was a great human moment, and 
I mean, isn't I, that how memory works? That is how memory works. I, I used to serve in the the Navy, right? And some of the biggest moments that stand out to me, I remember my biggest moment from boot camp that I thought was so awesome was when I graduated from boot camp, right? We had one day where we got to go over to this kind of like rec center where they had video games and they actually had a Taco Bell and a pizza place, like all within this one building. And then they had this other segment where no other people were because everybody was like, I want to play video games. I want to eat pizza. I want. We haven't had any of this stuff, you know, because... It's not as brutal as the Nazis by any stretch of the imagination, but compared to where I came from, you know, all we had was a, a linoleum floor and a bunk and getting the crap beat out of you, you know, all, all day and night. And I remember what I did is I wandered over the section and I just saw there was this room with recliners and sofas in it. And I went over and I'm like, I hadn't even thought about it recently, but I've only been sitting on linoleum floors for two months. I went over to that couch and I sat on it and damn, <laughs> that felt good. Like I can't, can't compare it to anything else almost in my life is like, I remember just sitting for 20 minutes and being completely enamored <laughs> with sitting on the couch. <laughs> so I could imagine after way more pain than I suffered in boot camp, Vladek saying a piece of cake yeah. and that sticking out in his mind. And, and there were a couple different examples that I wrote down, but that was just one of them that, you know, every once in a while, Art Spiegelman digresses into his father's story where it's away from the, you know, pow in your face Nazism and the just made it human for those people. And when he does make it human, he doesn't always paint his father in the best light. Right. So like you, when they pick up when when Art's girlfriend picks up the hitchhiker on the side of the road. Oh yeah, they, and there's a part where it's kind of like, Dad, after all that, you're still you didn't really learn the lesson, you know? It's like, don't how can you compare a Jew to a black person? Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, but also just the little things that Art remembers about his dad being so cheap are hilarious, like the tea bag. Yeah. You know, I, I made tea this morning and then I set the bag out. You know, it should be dry by now for lunchtime tea. It's like those little things are, are great and they will immerse people in your story. Vice just plot point, plot point, plot point, plot point. You know, that gets old. You exactly. Can, you can get crazy with digressions, but that's what I took away from, from Spiegel's work. And we'll give the final thought to... Max, as somebody who's, you know, has a lot of notes, and also this is, you know, kind of personal to him. Uh, um, wrap yeah. it up for us, story-wise. I mean, what can our audience learn from this great work? <clears throat> One thing that you always have to uh, think about when you're creating a story, especially if it's something real, is how are you going to end it? How are you going to, I guess have closure. And the one thing that I noticed with Mouse is that it doesn't have a happy ending. And there is no real closure. I really noticed that on the end from book one to book two, it was a super downer. Like, yes. it was a downer in the Holocaust and in his real life. And even though it's a downer, and even though the subject is depressing, you still can't help but want more. Once you uh, get into reading Mouse, you you want there to be a second book. You want there to be a sequel to the story. Yeah, and uh, Spiegelman does justice with the second part of the story as well. And that's the, I guess, is my final thought to piggyback on what Max just said is, uh, you know, so many people I think when they're writing they get caught up in that classic three act structure, hero's journey, blah blah blah, and they forget there are 
there's a story called a, a tragedy. You yes. can write a tragedy. You can write a comedy. You can write... There are so many different types of stories. Personally, I don't want to spoil anything, but if you kind of look at our graphic novel, Hafu, it's basically a tragedy. You know, and, and that is actually the way I approached it when I wrote it. Um, you don't always have to have the Hollywood quote-unquote ending. You yeah. should have a satisfying ending, meaning satisfying as you wrapped up all the details that there or all the questions the reader was asking. But, yeah, study tragedies. Go out there. R- experiment with it. Yeah, and I actually prefer stories that kind of leave out a true resolution. Mm-hmm. Because, honestly, can a Holocaust story have a happy ending? Based on what our Spiegelman just wrote. If it's done by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, That's yeah. true. That was revisionist <laughs> yeah. history. Hitler so, dies yeah. in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know... Uh, when, whenever you're coming from the oppressed Jews' perspective, I mean, there's always going to be the uh, idea of your life has been scarred yeah. by this event. Let's say you drain your biceps. Blood is rushing into your muscles, and that's what we call the pump. Your muscles get a really tight feeling, like your skin is going to explode any minute. You know, it's really tight. It's like somebody blowing air into into your muscle. It just blows up, and it feels different. It feels fantastic. All right, well, that brings us to forced reps, and I think that's a good thing. Here's what we want you to do. Either draw some characters for or write a short story where it's the super Hitler fan that knows nothing about the actual Holocaust, like any of the crematories or anything. He's just, thank you, Hitler, you know, for really getting our country, you know, back on the right track. And then he finds out all this stuff and the story ends in a tragedy. <laughs> so that that's your assignment. What happens to that character? Pro Hitler finds out the truth. That's definitely a tragic ending. Make it interesting. That's your assignment. So for forced reps. So on behalf of Show Me Comics, who are you? <laughs> yeah, who am I again? Are you, your mouse pickerel? Yeah, mouse pickerel. Uh, on behalf of myself, Jordan, and Sam, thanks for listening, and we wish you the best in your creative endeavors. And visit our website, showmecomics.com, for all of my blogs, and also you can check out Hafu, the comic that I wrote that is a little bit tragic, and pick that up. For $9.99 plus shipping and handling. That's right. It's on sale right now. And since I know you're also on the internet because you're probably there listening to us, go to Facebook and like us at facebook.com slash novel. And if you're on Twitter, make sure you follow us, tweet us, and just your questions, your comments, all your concerns at Show Me Comics. And the last thing I want to say about the internet is Max. Tell us where everybody can find you in cyberspace. In cyberspace, my little selfless plug is a free website where you can check out all of my work, um, drawings, sketches, childhood nightmares, and poetry at MaximusPoetryArt.Weebly.com. Max, I would like to say thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you very much. Thank Shal- you for having me. Shalom. <laughs> <Das Vidanya. laughs> this podcast is Anne Frank approved. Oh, God. <laughs> we kind of did it Anne Frank style with the candlelight. That's <laughs> a very good point. It's very fitting.